Welcome to Conservation Realist. I'm Dr. Tara Sayuri-Witty, and I am so glad you're listening or reading the transcript. As I record and post this, it's the day after Christmas, and so I wish you all a restful interlude and time for reflection as the year ends and 2024 begins. And if you're listening to this way after the holidays, I wish you a restful interlude and time for reflection wherever you might find it. So speaking of interludes, this is the last episode of Conservation Realist for this first season, whatever it is I mean by season. I'd hoped to feature a chat with my brother, non-speaking autistic advocate and writer Danny Witte, um, but he has been really struggling recently and is needing to focus on getting himself rested and feeling okay again. And, and I share this because I have his permission to, and he also shares about this very openly on his platforms. You can look, it up, look him up, um, Danny with Words. Um, this is website, dannywithwords.com. And he's on Facebook and Instagram too. Um, and he shares about this again quite openly. Um, and these difficult times are characterized by what is called dysregulation, um, which is an, an intense anxiety that takes over his body and in his case is, is manifested in exacerbated OCD exacerbated, um, excuse me, OCD, restlessness and sleeplessness and unpredictable flare-ups into agitation. It's awful to witness, but of course not nearly as awful as it must be for him to be going through it in his own mind and body. And it's a brutal reality that he and, and millions of others and their families and care teams experience regularly but it's, it's not really spoken about very widely. I think that my experiences with my brother and my experiences in conservation have beautifully informed each other in an interactive and ongoing way. I've always been interested in knowing more about those who are overlooked, in extending compassion to those who are marginalized because of my brother. That's just how I grew up. The way that autistic folks are so badly failed in so many ways by the medical field and education quote-unquote experts has informed my own nuanced view of quote-unquote expertise, which holds that trained expertise certainly is valuable. I mean, I I did spend a lot of energy getting a PhD, um, but that label of expert is too often wielded as evidence of absolute superiority at the expense of continued humility and curiosity in inquiry. And I feel like experts should be experts in learning, should be experts in inquiry. And, and that side of it is too often replaced by ego. Even before my brother could communicate, it was obvious that he was underestimated, overlooked, and seen as an inconvenience, as an inconvenience. Sorry, um, to be pitied when people wanted to feel good about themselves being charitable. And though I also underestimated him and made a lot of mistakes in that regard, I still knew that he had a right to so much more than what society offered. 
And that instills in me a tenacity for standing up for the underdog. And it also instills in me a skepticism of widely held, but not often questioned, beliefs and behaviors of society in general. In short, (laughs) I often can spot bullshit pretty well, and I have no patience for it. And my experiences in the field, learning on the go through interviews with diverse folks, and learning from friends in the social sciences, as well as some fantastic resources, um, all of that helped me tap into the art of listening without judgment. Um, Okay, well, that's a bit of an exaggeration because a part of me would often form judgments, um, if I'm being honest. But I worked hard to cultivate a mindset of, well, let's see what this person has to say and how that might relate to their own lived experiences and perspectives and what I can learn from that. It trained me to also be mindful of my own biases and assumptions, to be aware of the filter that I brought to each interview, and to put my ego aside and be present to what was being said in the moment. Um, or in many cases, to what I read from the interview notes compiled by my field teams, since I wasn't present at every interview that our team conducted. Um, And speaking of field teams, training my field teams was also something that I, I found I really enjoyed doing, observing the obvious strengths and interests of each individual, as well as assessing relative weaknesses and thinking mindfully of how to play to their strengths while also supporting growth in the weaker skill areas. And this blossomed when I worked with IUCN in Myanmar, training not only the wonder team at Myanmar Coastal Conservation Lab, but also cohorts of faculty and students at universities there. I wanted to share skills that I knew were important, that I knew were useful in a way that was actually effective out of respect for my colleagues who were receiving the training, and also out of my low tolerance, again, for bullshit. If if we're going to do something and say we're doing something, let's really do it in a way that matters. So these skills in, in listening in the field and in fostering the best in my teams have been so very helpful for me in being an ally to my brother in being his communication partner and in mentoring him through his career, at least in the parts of his career that I I can mentor him through, and also in being a practitioner of spelling to communicate, which is the method my brother uses. Um, And I'm now a practitioner using that method with other non-speaking clients. And I, I feel that my experience in the field has really informed my work as a support person to non-speakers, fostering again that that mindfulness of what I'm bringing with me to the experience and how that colors my perception of the experience, um, a readiness to learn something new and to be surprised by people, and um, a belief in their potential, as well as really putting ego aside. And I believe that these skills belong in every sector and that we need to be integrating them into how we train experts and practitioners in every field, right? Like we can't count on it being um, a product of someone's childhood experience with a disabled loved one and then happening to pick these things up along the way in the field because that's just not dependable enough. It, it's not really particularly efficient. (laughs) And I think that, 
a lot of people's experiences in the field and and the field's performance in general would be vastly improved by having this taught in a more systematic way. And my my dual careers, a somewhat odd combination, right, um, have shown me in a tangible way that many of the things that are needed for more mindful, ethical, effective futures for conservation are also needed for improved disability rights and in humanitarian work and in public health and in education and on and on. And so many of those sectors actually really overlap in a lot of ways. And so I think that these these skills in what I call human processes are, are so missing in how we train conservationists these days. And um, that's something that I really want to contribute to. So that's really going to drive the next season of Conservation Realist in 2024. I'll likely resume in the spring sometime. Um, We all know how I am with my my predictions of of when things will come out. Um, But that timing might be fun, might also be impractical, because I have some field travel for the first time in four years. I'm so excited um, coming up then. Uh, So maybe I can record some dispatches from the ground. Um, But really, what I want with this next season um, to focus more on is training. Uh, I envision less of a focus on interviews, um, but we'll still have them periodically because I love learning from them. And I will instead focus on have a greater variety of episodes, including uh, specific practical topics um, paired with more deep dive training seminars, uh, which will likely be on a paid basis. So the podcast intro or overview will be free. Um, The training, if that's something people decide they want to dive into and actually learn how to uh, integrate, how to implement, will be priced flexibly um, to be widely accessible, um, but financially feasible for me to still do. Another kind of episode will be my monologues on ideas that I find exciting and interesting, including more exploration of the notions of expertise and inclusion, for example. And these might be paired with um, paid in-depth research newsletter posts, um, just because that would take a lot of time, um, you know, actually getting into citations and and making things a bit more comprehensive. Um, Another kind of interview or episode would be advice for younger researchers, including answers to questions that I'm often asked about career paths and also some insights about mental and emotional health and financial security in this field. And and those, you know, that all of that will be free Um, and selected interviews because again, I love them. So I know that this podcast is quite modest in reach. Um, though I'm actually surprised by how many subscribers have signed up. I'm definitely not the kind of person who aspires to any kind of limelight, but it is really important for me that ideas that I think are important are paid attention to. Um, So continuing into a second season is certainly not an exercise in ego, but rather my outlet for getting ideas out there as I continue to expand my work with non-speakers and thus continue to reduce the time I spend in conservation. I aspire to having some training programs developed and online next year, 
And so the second season will be the transition into that. Um, I would love to hear your suggestions and requests for topics to cover in trainings or in any of the future episodes. So truth be told, I'm pretty burned out. I mean, I think many of us probably are around this time of year. Um, I know I didn't need to put out this episode this week. And I know I really didn't have to do this whole conservation realist thing at all. Uh, in many ways, it was an impractical thing to do, right? I was I found myself so very busy with, with other things um, that, you know, again, the timing of this often fell way behind what I'd planned. Uh, but I felt really so driven to do this and I'm very proud to have finished this first season albeit several months later than planned. Life as a freelance consultant and as a support person is unpredictable. Let's just say that. Um, I started 2023 having been in an amorphous transition period um, since leaving work in Myanmar, existing through the pandemic, and changing my life direction drastically because of my work with my brother. And I did share some of that in in one of my episodes already. Um, I barely earned any money in 2020, I'm not exaggerating, uh, as I was focusing almost entirely on my brother's growth and because the pandemic really put a damper on work opportunities. And I, I didn't even know if I could turn my consulting business into a sufficient income source. And I felt so out of sorts, living a very different life than I'd previously envisioned. And I sort of just flailed and faltered around for a bit. Um, And my my sense of my life and and my sense of me, really, as a person, felt very shaky. Um, But this was a year when I really came back strong. Um, My consulting business continues to grow. I earned a certification as a spelling to communicate practitioner and now work with several clients in the life transforming um, building of communication skills. Um, I've supported Danny's continued growth uh, and I've even become a better surfer among other things. And I feel very fulfilled and happy despite the fatigue and the tough times. And this podcast is definitely something that I'm so proud of. The idea had been in my mind for years, and I finally gathered enough executive function together to do it. Um, So I realized this was a a rather self-indulgent episode, but it's because I want to convey where much of the ethos of this podcast is rooted, and also to lead to this, my very sincere appreciation for all of you listening for all who have sent me kind messages about this, for all who have shared time with me in interviews, and for all who have liked, shared, commented, and even donated. And by the way, you can still do all of that. Um, I was very shy about putting this out into the world, and you've made me feel so encouraged. I hope that this podcast has brought you some new ideas and information, some intriguing perspectives, and some motivation and encouragement in your own work and lives. Um, And I think my level of burnout is apparent in in how much I'm tripping over my words, but uh, I'm not going to (laughs) re-record. So, uh, yeah. Thank you for listening, and thank you for excusing my uh, 
somewhat garbled speech in this episode. Um, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> I need to pack for a trip that starts tomorrow. Uh, I think we're noticing here that time management perhaps might be a goal for 2024. Um, am I doing this episode as procrastination from packing? Perhaps. I'm wishing you all a very happy new year. And, uh, yeah, until sometime in 2024. And as another reminder, subscribe and or follow on Instagram for the triumphant return of Conservation Realist. And, um, yeah, you can still share old episodes in the meantime, and I hope you do. Um, yeah, thank you again, and take care. I'll send you off with the song, The Green Touch. Again, a, a really beautiful song written for this podcast by Somo Twins, Yantet, and Min Min in Myanmar. Such a pretty song, and uh, I hope you've been enjoying listening to it this whole season. All right, thank you again. Ta-ta! ยาลาเฮดุกปาจีเยสิงโคดานเวนาสวนเลลูดาโรอาลอปยอชวนสยาเรเปสวนเนตุปยองเรอาผิวเซลโลเลเซลันเนลาปาจีเยกงโกซา
เมยเอ็นด้วยทวีจีโนเดลี